rules of the double dog dare. Listen closely. It begins with two opposing sides. Side one presents a seemingly insurmountable challenge known as a dare to side two. This dare is riddled with abounding risk, oftentimes with severe physical and social implications. When challenged, side two must accept or refuse the dare presented. Refusing is equally, if not more detrimental to one's social standing than actually accepting the dare and failing miserably. If side two reluctantly declines the dare, then of course the challenger is forced to raise the stakes and extend the ultimate requisition, the double dog dare. Everything is on the line. Risk it all and walk proudly in achievement, or lose and walk home with your tail between your legs. Only you can decide. Well, that's just fun. I don't care who you are, right? On the playground of life, we get dared to do some pretty stupid stuff. Am I right? A couple of you are awake this morning. That's a relief. On the playground of life, we get dared to do some dumb stuff. But in this series, we're trying to take the opposite. And we're trying to say, hey, what if we instead raised the bar on each other? What if we dared each other to do something great, to do something good? What if we encouraged, as we start off this brand new year, not to make goals or resolutions, but simply to resolve within ourselves that we're going to tackle some of the things that we talk about? So we're doing a six-week series. And each week, we're going to give you a dare. And not just a dare, a Double dog dare, right? So we're going to double dog dare you to make some decisions in your life to accept one of the six dares. So we're going to give you six dares. You already missed week one. We'll review that here in a second. We'll have another one coming up today. And so your challenge, your dare is to find one of the dares that we have for you to take the action steps accompanied with it and to see what God does as we remove the barriers that are inhibiting him from speaking and leading in our lives. So last week we started out with 2018 in mind and we we said that the most important thing for any person, Christ follower or not, in 2018 is that if we could learn to listen to the voice of God, if we could learn to hear him speak to us, and then if we could put those things into practice and obey. So maybe that was your dare. Maybe you put it into practice. The action step to that was coming up with your one word. I won't make you raise your hands because I would afraid it would be hurting to my ego, uh, but I hope that you took the time, opportunity. If not, the devotional is on our Facebook page there, and uh, we just love to hear that if you came up with your one word, if that was your dare, if that's the thing that you did, you can comment there, you can write it into your bulletin. We just want to pray and encourage you as you start 2018 to lean into maybe this action step that you have to hearing from and obeying the Lord and putting that into practice. So if you got your one word, let us know that. We'd love to come alongside you and pray for you. I'll share my one word. I'm still actually kind of in the middle of it. I thought that it'd be clear to me by now, uh, but I feel like the Lord is talking to me about discipline. Uh, and that's not a very fun word. I would rather that not be my word for the year, but apparently that's what the Lord's speaking to me about. And, uh, and some of you who know me, Michael, you're fairly disciplined already, and that's true. But as I've been wrestling with the Lord, trying to hear from him, going through that same devotional, God's reminded me that I tend to be disciplined in the areas that I enjoy being disciplined in, right? I enjoy the things that I get. I enjoy the profits from it. But there are other areas of my life where maybe I'm not so disciplined. And so I feel the Lord drawing my attention to those as I pursue 2018, as I chase that goal. So there's my one word. You can hold me accountable to that. You can talk to me about that conversation. And if I can share my one word with a hundred or so of you in this room, you can certainly tell me by writing it in your bulletin. So I'd be honored if you'd share that with me though. Today though, 
We're in week two. New dare, new truths coming at you. And I want to argue that today is the most important habit or discipline that anyone can cultivate in their entire life. Is that setting the bar high enough? Right, this one discipline, this one thing alone has the potential to change every area of your life, from your work to your marriage to your family to the things that you enjoy doing. Everything about life itself can hinge on this one discipline, this one simple habit that I'm going to dare you to undertake as we go through the message today. If that sounds too good to be true, stay tuned, uh, and you can see whether or not we arrive at the same place by the end of this message. But before we get started here, just a quick story for us. A churchgoer wrote a letter to the editor of the newspaper. He complained that it made no sense to go to church every Sunday. Here's the quote that he wrote. He says, I've gone to church now for 30 years, and in that time I've heard something like 3,000 sermons, but for the life of me, I can't remember a single one of them. So I think I'm wasting my time. I think that the pastors are wasting their time. Obviously, this isn't working. Now, this was at a time perhaps when letters to the editors were more prominent, and this created a little bit of a feud going on, which is what Letters to the editors really thrive on, am I right? So this created a long conversation. It went on for weeks until finally somebody wrote this answer. And he said, I've been married for 30 years now. And in that time, my wife has cooked something like 32,000 meals. Apparently she was a good cook, right? But for the life of me, I can't recall what the menu was for a single one of those meals. But I do know this, that they all nourished me. They gave me strength that I needed to do my work. And if we had not had those meals, then I would certainly be dead today. So it's the transferable principle there, right? Sometimes we get so ingrained in these habits, we get so ingrained in the things that we do over and over again that we miss the forest for the trees. Today's discipline, the thing that I'm going to challenge you to, falls deceptively into this category. It's not a new idea. It's something that you've heard before. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme, but the reality is that this discipline, more than any other, falls into this kind of uh, amnesia that we forget any of those moments. And because we don't have those high points, those high moments, we often abandon it quickly as opposed to hanging on for the rest of our lives. Sometimes habits become so ingrained that we fail to even recognize the impact that they make. Just like eating a meal becomes so routine that we forget the miraculous impact that it makes on our day-to-day -day life. Which, if you made any New Year's resolutions, right, this year or every year, isn't that the goal of the habits that we create? Isn't it to say, hey, I expect this, I want this to be something that I challenge myself to, something that's difficult, something that I have to put into practice, but eventually we hope that it just kind of becomes part of our life. We hope that it just kind of fades into the background and becomes who we are, the type of person that we become. The danger with that, though, is that we forget why we started doing the habit, the discipline in the first place, and we write a letter to the editor much like this person wrote. So today's truth and the dare all center around our spiritual life, and so I'm going to make a couple of assumptions with you this morning. First of all, I'm going to assume that you're in one of two categories. Either you're a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, or at least of things spiritual, and you're open to that conversation, or you're here because you're at least curious or open to engage in that conversation. The third category would be that your spouse made you, and I, I can't help you if you're in that category. But the other two... I hope that we can have a decent conversation about going, so if God is important to you, if eternity is important to you, if you believe or at least open to believing that there's something more than this kind of physical realm, 
then the things that we do here and now ought to profit us in those places. In other words, if you believe in an eternity, if you believe in a heaven or a hell or things that exist beyond this place, we would be foolish not to maximize our effort and our increases and the things that we prioritize in our life, not to prioritize this short time, but to prioritize what lasts truly in our life. Uh, Paul says these words to Timothy. This is a verse that God just keeps bringing back to me as I've been here. It says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. See, if what we do here and now, no matter what it is, fades away, your wealth, your health, your income, your family, even a legacy that we know of doesn't last more than a couple hundred years. Nothing is permanent on this side of eternity. So we would be foolish not to engage in habits that lead to a better eternity. Think of it like a 401k plan, right? It doesn't make much sense to save for a 401k plan. Just doesn't make sense to save for retirement. We could use that money now, we could profit now, we could do the vacations that we always wanted to do, except that we save for our future with the end in mind. We know that our profitable years are waning, that retirement is coming, that our inability to work will soon loom upon us, and so we start saving now for that future destination. It's not arguable, eventually we'll get there. So here's my question for us today. What if we invested in our eternal future in the same way that we invested in our earthly one? What if we applied the same principles that just like it isn't fun to save money for a day that's out there in the future, but what if we could save our time, invest our time in something that truly lasts, that truly endures? Eternity is coming just as our profitable years are coming to an end, and are we living for it? So today my hope is to give you just the simplest of habits, something that can radically alter the investment that you're making into eternity. But here's what Paul says, it's that it's not only yields dividends in eternity, but it has dividends here and now as well. Literally, this discipline has been proven across millions of lives over thousands of years, and we have research to show that in as little as 15 minutes a day, you can change your life both presently and for eternity. And again, it's profoundly simple. You've had this idea before. Many of you have tried this before. Some of you are currently even doing it. But the single greatest thing that you can do to make an earthly difference in every area of your life and make an investment in eternity is reading your Bible. I almost expected to chuckle after that because it sounds like it's way too high of a goal, right? But reading your Bible simply is the largest profitable dividend that you can invest in, right? Again, it's not a new idea. This is something that you've heard of, right? This is Church 101. You showed up today and you like knew this was coming, right? Nobody's shocked that the pastor's saying, hey, read your Bible, but stick with me for just a little bit because this isn't profound or shiny or snazzy, right? As a matter of fact, it's quite boring, Maybe any of you who've tried this discipline and have stopped would agree. Yeah, it's kind of boring from time to time. Are you all awake out there? I'm having fun up here, but you guys don't seem to be jiving with me, right? This is, can be boring, right? It can be that meal that we have day in and day out that we forget the purpose to it. And if that's the feeling that you've walked away with, then I just want to re-invite you into this discipline, into this habit, and I want to tell you why I think it's so important. So for this Double Dog Dare series, we've been saying that we're going to give you a truth. We're going to give you a, a godly principle to latch our idea onto, and then we'll give you the dare, and finally we'll give you a call to action if you feel like God may be asking you to take this Double Dog Dare. So here's the truth that I just give to us this morning. The truth is that reading your Bible has the greatest ability to increase your spirit which will enhance this life and the life to come. 
Reading your Bible is the single greatest thing that you can invest in that will increase your spirit. And when you increase your spirit, it pays dividends here and now and also into eternity. Right? So we have research to prove this. There's a church called Willow Creek, which is a massive church in Chicago, Illinois. And they set out to do some research asking this question, right? how do people grow spiritually? How do people move along a continuum from people who are maybe brand new in Christ, maybe not even in Christ, they're just open to the idea, they're coming to church, they're checking things out, to maybe people who've accepted Christ, to people who are living for God, all the way up to people who've been Christians since before they were born, right? Like all the way along that line, that's a joke too, people, I'll just, do I just need to do a caveat every time? Like, this is funny, laugh. Anyway, so they're walking people along this continuum and they go, hey, how do people move along? How do we grow people spiritually? They start asking questions. How do, what are the most significant spiritual impacts in your life? Where do you see and hear God working the most? And their answers when they started out were probably similar to ours. Well, if you show up to church, right, then you'll grow in spiritual maturity. Sometimes. Not all the time. Often. But it depends on which stage of growth you're in. What about uh, giving and serving? Certainly those are areas that grow your faith. Absolutely they are. They're just not all the way found across the board. They kind of move and they shake. What about prayer, right? Surely prayer is one of those things that would grow your spiritual faith the more that you exercise it. It absolutely does. But when they did the research, when they compiled the actual results from thousands of people's lives as far as being Christ followers, where they were at, what grew them to maturity in every single area along that continuum, guess what? they found out. The most profitable spiritual discipline, the most profitable thing that would grow anybody, no matter what stage of spiritual maturity that they were in, was reading their Bible. It was simple. Again, you all know this. This isn't surprising. As a matter of fact, if we sat down, went out to coffee, or even had an honest conversation today, you would know that to be a Christ follower, reading your Bible is important, right? Everybody agrees there? Nobody's surprised at that. And yet they did this survey. So Lifeway went around and they asked this question. How much of the Bible have you personally read? How much of the Bible have you personally read? They went around to Christians, people who were Christ followers, were church attenders. These are people who know this truth just like you and I know this truth. And the results were astounding. 20% of Bible-believing, Christ-following Christians had said that they read the Bible at least one time in their lifetime. 20% of Christ-following Christians. That's one out of five, one person per household. Let me just put that statistic in perspective for you. In the same series of questions, they asked about other popular books that people have read. Here's what they found. Life of Pi, 37%. Twilight, 22%. Hunger Games, 21%. Fifty Shades of Grey, can I say that in church? 19%. Game of Thrones, the books, not the TV show, 18%. The Hobbit, 16%. More people read Twilight as Christ followers than the Bible. Anybody else seen a problem? And here's the deal. We wonder then what happens when we're Christ followers, when somebody that we know is a Christ follower and they're going to church and they're involved in a small group and they're doing all these things and then, and then something happens, right? Life happens or, or they come face to face with a problem that they've never dealt with before or a new scientific study comes out or they have a coffee shop conversation with someone who's struggling and they find themselves at a crisis of faith. And my presupposition to you, or what I would suggest to you, is that the reality is that too often we come to church and we raise our hand to pray a prayer and we go, yeah, I believe that, but then we leave it there. We don't do the research for ourselves. And so when hard conversations come up, when difficult times come up, when our faith is put to the test, we have nothing to build it on other than what some guy on stage with a microphone says. 
And the result is that people step away from their belief, from their faith in Jesus. Not because, in my opinion, belief has proven insufficient. Not because Jesus has changed, but because they didn't take the time to build a solid foundation. See, belief in Jesus is absolutely enough for salvation. It's absolutely enough to trust in God for the forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ, but it's not enough to sustain a growing, vibrant faith as we go along the continuum of life. It's not enough to mature you spiritually to raise your hand and pray a prayer at one time. It simply doesn't work. It was never created to. That's not how God's spirit works. That's not how things work for us. So if spirituality is on your radar at all, then I think you agree with me that investing time in this area of our life is worth it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here this morning, right? So what if we could prioritize that time? What if we could find the things that most have the impact to our faith and begin to practice those things together? So I want to practice us as a church, as Bible-believing Christians, as people who say that we claim that this Word of God is infallible and God's spoken and the very Word of God handed to us. So here it is. I double-dog dare you to read your Bible this year. I double-dog dare you. I'm throwing down the gauntlet, right? No gimmicks, no excuses, nothing else. If you're a follower of Christ or even if you're just open to the idea of who Jesus represents, I double-dog dare you to put your money where your mouth is and to spend the time that it takes to read through God's Word. If you have a Bible, if you've ever held a Bible, that can be intimidating, right? Very, very thick, lots of stuff to read. So let me break it down for you. In as little as 15 minutes a day, you can read through the entire Bible in one year. If that sounds like too much, in five minutes a day, reading one chapter of the New Testament, you can read through the entire New Testament during the course of the year. There are tools and opportunities that we have. I brought this along. This is the Bible that sits on my nightstand. It's a one-year Bible. They break it up by day. So at night, when Melissa and I have time before we go to bed, we crack this open, we open it to the day, and we read that day's verses. It breaks it up into Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs. It's a discipline that we try to create to have conversations. I'll have more on that here in just a little bit. But what if you took the time to dig into your family, to do family devotions? There are great kids' resources, family devotions. What if that you took the time to not only lead yourself, but lead your family through the pages of Scripture? What if that was the way in which we undergirded this belief, this church attendance, the things that we know and value to be true, but actually made it a firm foundation that can stand up to the tests and trials of this world? So if your kids are in Sunday school here, you know that they get weekly devotionals too that tie into the Sunday school lessons. They come with scripture verses, they come with questions, ways to engage kids in what God might be speaking to them in and through their lives. So I double dog dare you to push past the excuses to prioritize your spiritual growth, which again, not only has dividends for eternity, but has dividends and potential increases in life here and now. So level with me though, right? We've tried this before. True? And if you started at the beginning, right, you flamed out somewhere near Leviticus, Deuteronomy, right? Like about March, right, you get there and you're going, I mean, we tried, right? We did a good run, uh, but we just get stuck. So here's my question to you. What will it take to actually make it happen? When I was in high school, it was my junior year of high school, my youth pastor challenged us to read through the entire Bible uh, in one year. He said he'd buy us a new pair of tennis shoes, uh, which I thought was pretty sweet. So I tried to read through the entire Bible in a year. I did just like you did. I started at Genesis. I tried to read it like a book, and I got bored super quick. 
By the time December rolled around and he was reminding us of the challenge, I tried to do a cram session, right? Which you all know from college, high school, doesn't work out well. But it, it put a seed inside of me to where I saw the benefits of what God was doing. And I resolved then that next year, which happened to be my senior year of high school, I was going to do it. I was going to read the entire Bible. God spoke to me so powerfully during that season uh, that everything kind of came together in my life. I decided and got accepted to the college that I would attend. Uh, I started dating Melissa, who would become my wife. I got my full-time call into serving God in ministry, and all of that happened within the calendar year because I was tuned in and focused and listening to the Word of God on a regular basis. So here's my challenge to you. If you're asking for God to speak to you in your life, if you're asking for him to reveal his will for you, if you're trying to figure out what it looks like to be a Christian in our day and age and in this world, but you're not reading your Bible, you're not prioritizing this as a discipline in your life, you are circumventing the very basic, most basic way that God has given us that he reveals who he is, what he's about, and what he would have for us to do. But again, we've tried this before, so I just simply want to push you to the line and say, what's going to challenge you to be different this time around? So I found a list of excuses as far as why people don't read their Bible. I thought we'd go through them together. Does that sound good? No, it doesn't. You're like, I don't want to hear that, Pastor. You just keep that to yourself, right? Number one, I don't have time. If you don't have five to 15 minutes a day, you're right. You don't have time. And that's a major problem if you're going, man, I can't prioritize 15 minutes in my life to prove the one thing that carries on with me into life after this, then you're right, you've got a problem. Maybe it should start with simplification, with stepping back, with instead of trying to push through this goal, to go, man, I need more margin in my life to pursue the things that I actually think are the most important. Because let me tell you, I promise you that when you stand before God, the excuse of, hey, I don't think I had enough time to do what you asked me to do, probably isn't going to hold much weight. Paul tells us as much in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, the Scripture says that you have all the time that you need to do all the things that God would have you to do, and when you do all of those things, that's when you experience this abundant life, this life to the full that God promises in His Scripture. Too often we just want the life to the full part, but we don't want to do the things that God is asking us to do. And then we get fed up and frustrated with God going, hey, I thought you said that you were going to bless me. I thought you said that you were going to give me life to the full. And instead, life is just boring and dull. God's going, well, have you put the things in there? Have you put the things in that I told you that would require you to become who I am leading you to be? So is it that God doesn't want you to read the Bible, that he hasn't given you enough time, or that you're just not prioritizing what he's given you? Excuse number two. I don't have enough time. Excuse number two is I don't like to read. Don't you wish that worked in school? Right? Like, hey, we've got a test over chapter three and four. Uh, yeah, I got a note from my mom. I don't like to read. So uh, recess, is that cool? Right? It doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. You simply don't have that excuse. Again, I don't think that we'll get to stand before God and go, hey, I just didn't like to read. Sorry. And just go, oh, that's no problem. Yeah, just come on in. Right? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't play out that way. We have to have the opportunity to do what's hard and difficult to do. See, I don't like to do dishes. I really don't like taking out the trash. I really don't like cleaning up the house. I don't like doing any of those things. But the alternative to that is a messy house, which I can't stand. So I do the things that I don't like to do because I prefer those things over the opposite reality. Paul talks about this a little bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, Don't you know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who goes into the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 
It says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul says, life is tough. Get a helmet, right? Get over it. Put in the hard work to do what it means to follow God. Anything that's worth doing takes the effort to make it happen. You prove this in every area of your life. And if you don't like to read, that's really sad. And I'm, I feel bad for you. But guess what? There are other opportunities, right? There are absolutely listening tools, things you can do. What if you took a 15-minute walk, push play on your iPod, and just listened to the Bible? We can point to countless studies that talk about the benefits of reading over listening. I just want you to have God's Word in your life. I just want you to hear the fresh Word of the Lord spoken to you. And if reading is that big of a hurdle, then find a creative way to overcome it. So I don't have enough time. I don't like to read. Number three, it's boring. Hard to understand, Right? If you read it like a textbook, if you read it like a fiction book, if you don't take the time to reflect and mine out what's important and what matters or to connect these ancient lessons with your life, then yep, you'll get bored. And you'll use that as an excuse to why you can't do what God is asking you to do. So why are you doing it? Because it's easy or because it's profitable? Why are you doing it? Because I said to do it or because you actually want to grow and mature your faith? Are you doing it because you actively want to hear the voice of God in your life and you're desperate for direction and peace and purpose and all of those things? Or are you doing it just to check a box that says, well, I'm doing the thing that I'm supposed to be doing? Because that plays in to number four, is prioritizing and reading and understanding an ancient text written two to 4,000 years ago in four separate languages difficult? Absolutely. But is it worth it? More than you can ever imagine. And that's the stunning fourth excuse. The Bible requires too much of me. When you actually come face to face with God's word in your life, with what it's saying to you, if you don't want to learn and grow, if you don't want to change, if you don't want to experience more of God in your life, if you don't want to come face to face with all of your shortcomings and the vast riches and resplendent glory of God, then you absolutely won't read your Bible. So you actually have to want it. You have to want to know and to understand and to hear God's word spoken to you. You have to want more of God in your life, not less. And if you aren't willing to adjust your life to live God's way, you'll stop reading scripture because it'll be too difficult. It will require too much of you. But if you actually want to grow in your faith, if you actually want more of God's voice in your life, then there is no better discipline, no single thing that will do that more than reading your Bible. So that's the truth, right? That reading your Bible has the most ability to grow your spirit. My dare is that you would do that this year. Let's break it down into some action steps. I tried to make this easy for us. Uh, so if you want, you can go to www.theporchchurch.tv backslash Bible Dare, uh, or you can text this number 303-562-1726. Just the word Bible Dare, and you'll get a link to that website. But here's my, here's my action steps for you. Number one. Commit to read the entire Bible this year. Commit to read the entire Bible this year. Three chapters a day, under 15 minutes, you can get it done. I would encourage you to start at Genesis. I would encourage you to get a reading plan to work together with a buddy, maybe a spouse, somebody from your small group, someone who's trying to do the same thing and to make this a reality. I'd get an accountability thing. The link there will have a link to a couple of full-year Bible studies that you can sign up for and receive text alerts. You can receive alerts on your phone at a certain time that will remind you, hey, here's the reading for today, and you can check them off like checkboxes. This is how I do my yearly reading plan. As I get a text message, I get an alert on my 
my phone at the time where I do my devotions and I read through and just go down the list to know where God is speaking to me, how I'm going to get through it, right? But don't start with Genesis just reading three chapters, right? You'll get bored. I promise I'm a professional, all right? You can trust me in this. Go through it with a little bit of variety. Do two chapters of the Old Testament, one chapter of the New Testament. That's the great thing about these plans is that they break it up for you so that you get to see how God works over the, over the continuity of speaking to his people. So when you click on that link, there'll be a couple of options there. Maybe that's too much for you. Maybe you just know that that's too much for you. You know that a year-long commitment in the first week of the year, you're like, nope, time out. I just know that's not going to work well. Maybe just reading the New Testament. One chapter a day will get you through the New Testament. Or you could try to read more than that, like five or six or ten chapters a day, and you'll get through the New Testament in up to 30 days. There's a couple plans linked on that website that you can click on, subscribe to, and hear more about. If all of that sounds like too much, then maybe just a devotional, getting a book that brings one page of Scripture out that you can just read as you have time and availability. All I'm trying to do is to inject the Word of God into your life because I think that it is the most profitable thing that you can ever have, ever experience, will ever have done. So let me just level with you here for just a second. Here's how important I think this discipline is. I think that God will work more through this than any single other avenue or thing in your life, even than showing up to church. I would rather you make a commitment that you take this dare to read your Bible than I would you show up here on Sunday morning. And believe me, I know you prioritize this, I know you love serving here, I know you love the connection here, and all of that's great, but no matter how good I preach, how many notes you take, how many small group lessons you do, nothing will have the impact on your spiritual life as prioritizing being in the Scripture and reading God's Word on a daily basis. So that's my challenge to you, is to do what will profit your soul the most. Because here's the reality, the more time that we spend reading God's word, the more time that we spend in there, the more time that you'll want to be drawn into community and fellowship and worship and all of those things. But if you ask me, what's the most important thing that you could do to hear the voice of God, to implement into your life, it would be to develop a daily habit of reading God's word. Not only does it benefit you into eternity, but it will change and radically revolutionize your life here and now. And there are tons of opportunities to make that real and applicable in your world, whether it's reading a paperback version, whether it's getting it on your phone, whether it's buying a devotional book. What will it take for you to overcome the hurdle to be in God's word and to hear from what we claim is to be the infallible word of God, but it just sits dusty on our shelves? I dare you. I double dog dare you. Do something worthwhile in 2018 that has the most profit for your life. Read your Bible. Here's the fun part about that, is that as you get to spend time in God's Word, hearing from Him, God begins to work in your life. He begins to shake things loose. He begins to put His fingers on certain areas where He goes, hey, this is not in line with who I am. This is not in line with who I created you to be. We get exposed to the Word of Truth, which reveals all of those areas and things within us that is not quite where it ought to be. Today we get to tell a story of people who've come face to face with God in their lives. They've gotten to see and hear and experience this opportunity. God has spoken to them. They've declared Christ as Lord of their lives. And so today they've made the decision to come forward and to have that be public with each and every one of us. So today we get to celebrate baptism, which is just this astounding picture 
played out in Scripture of God who came to make a way for us to forgive us for our sins. And in that, we get to participate in the reception of what God is doing. So we're going to baptize two uh, kids today. And the great thing that, that we've gotten to do is to have the story, the conversations, and speaking with them to get to hear what God's been doing in their lives. And what they've all said, what they've all declared is this reality that they get to know and hear and experience that God's spoken to them that they've declared that Jesus is Lord of their lives and that they want to go public in that declaration. They want to share it with their friends, with their families. They want to let everybody know that God is so real and so true and so good and so powerful in their lives that they've invited you and I to come alongside it. So we've invited all of our kids in to be able to witness this. It's one of the fun family things that we get to do. But I just want to give you a reminder that this is a sacred moment. We believe that this is a moment where God is specially present. He's present all the time, but this is a moment where we get to see and hear and experience and have that a little bit more fully. The water represents life. And so by going under the water, what they're saying is that I'm dying to myself. My flesh, my body, my blood goes under the water and I am raised to new life with Christ. And in that, I no longer live for myself, but I live for Jesus. It's a powerful declaration that they're making. It's a powerful example to you and to I as followers of Jesus. And so we're going to baptize a couple people today. Does that sound all right? Yeah, so that makes me nervous, and here's why. Thanks. <laughs> we'll get there. So here's why, right? Because this is a celebration of people who the Scripture says has been dead, and now they are risen to life. So when they come up out of the water, here's the deal. We are celebrating not somebody who got wet, not somebody who jumped into a bathtub. We're celebrating life turned to death. And so when they come up out of the water, it's going to sound like a party in here. Am I clear? Yeah, do we need to practice or are y'all going to be good? Okay, we're going to go over here. I will make you practice Father. the Son and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you okay? Mom's got a towel for you right there. Good job, sweetheart. So my hands are wet now, but I've got a baptism certificate and a Bible just for you, okay? So here, my hands are dry enough now that I can give them to you. So here you go. This is for mom and for dad. And this is our gift to you. We're giving you a Bible, just like we talked about today, so that you have it. And it's just for you, okay, sweetheart? Thanks, Laurel. That was fun. Now we're going to invite Caleb to come up. Yeah, go on in, man. Caleb Charles Burgess has, uh, is kind of the reason why we're doing this today, right? You had this opportunity, this goal we talked like a month ago, and you were going, man, this is what I want to do, right? So I'm going to have you plug your nose, and by doing this, you're declaring your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ until he returns again. Take your other hand, plug your nose too. This one too. Okay, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you, Caleb Charles Burgess. So, Caleb and Mom, certificate and Bible just for you. So we hope that becomes a meaningful uh, piece of your life and a piece of what goes on. So thanks so much for that. Before we end here, we're going to let our two baptizees go out so they can get to the restrooms and, uh, and get changed a little bit, get out of the cold. So you're going with Mom there. In just a couple more minutes then because we've got to let our kids go out before I dismiss you. Uh, but I'm already up here, and I'm already wet, 
and uh, that's not going anywhere. I've got a change of clothes in the back. So if today's your day, maybe you're going, man, maybe my dare wasn't to read the Bible. Maybe my dare was to make my faith real, and I just want to double-dog dare you. Come and be baptized. And I know that maybe it's a little not in fashion to come up like this so we can have a conversation, but I'm willing to do this again in two weeks if that's you. So write it down in your bulletin, make an appointment to have a conversation with me, whatever it takes, because more than anything in 2018, I double dog dare you to get right in your faith with God. And we've been demonstrated that from children like Laurel and like Caleb who said, I want to go public with this decision. And maybe reading the Bible is it for you. Maybe that was your dare, or maybe it's something to do with this, with a public declaration of your faith with who Jesus is and with what you want that to be in your life. So I double dog dare you that if you want to be baptized, to have a conversation, mark a box on your bulletin, write a note that says, hey, I'd like to talk about baptism, and uh, we'll get it done here in two weeks. So, of course, today's available. I have a change of clothes. The kids said the water's cold, but it's not. It's warm. Okay, the kids are being dismissed, so we're going to sing one more song, and uh, then Pastor Greg will dismiss you. But I invite you to stand, and uh, we're going to sing some praises to God because of what he's done here this morning.